All right, turn with me to Luke chapter 19. We are diving in today. Luke 19, we are, today's Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday. And I don't know if you grew up in a denomination that even celebrated that. I've talked to some people who were like, I don't really even know what that is. Um, But I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church, and I'm talking about when it was Palm Sunday, when you walk through the church doors, it was palm branches everywhere. And down the aisle, how many of you, that's how you grew up? I mean, palm branches down the aisle. And during the hymns, people just be waving palms. You're just like, what is happening right now? Uh, You know, as a kid, you're just like, this is strange. Uh, But this Palm Sunday, this is the Sunday before resurrection, uh, the death of Jesus. And so I I want to take some time today, and I want to dive into this story, this moment when Jesus came into Jerusalem and the event that we call Palm Sunday. Uh, Luke 19, and starting in verse 28, it says this. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olive, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent, those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them, and As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set uh, Jesus on it and he rode along and they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees, hear this, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. You see, religion doesn't like people to praise loud. It makes them uncomfortable. I'm not gonna preach that. I'm gonna leave it right there and keep moving. (laughs) They, they came to him and said, rebuke your disciples. They're praising too loud. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Father, today, I feel your presence in this place. I thank you for loving us, for leaving us the word of God. I thank you for 2,000, over 2,000 years ago, you making a, a conscious decision Although there was already a plot for your death, you came into Jerusalem, you set your face to go all the way to the cross, and here we are celebrating that thousands of years later as free sons and daughters of God. So we thank you for that. Speak to us today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, just a little background, uh, over and over, uh, Jesus in the Gospels would say things like, you know, my time has not yet come. Whether he was healing somebody and then that person was about to go just tell everybody, there were moments when Jesus would say, hey, 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 don't tell anybody because my time has not yet come. And so what happened was is as as time progressed and and we see in the book of John that 
The, 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 the moment when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead was a pivotal moment because it signified, although, although it, was, um, it was, you know, physically Lazarus coming to life, it typified what Jesus was about to do to provide a way for our, our spiritual lives to be risen from the grave. But what happened is, is that word got out. I mean, you could imagine if somebody you knew was raised from the dead, I mean, dead for, you know, three days and came back just, 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 hey, what's up? <laughs> you would probably tell somebody, wouldn't you? you tell your mama, you tell your friends, you tell your coworkers, you tell everybody. And that's exactly what happened. And so word spread, and some people were excited about it, and some people were not so excited about it. And the religious crowd started talking, and they started saying things like, we gotta, we gotta deal with this guy. And so they began to plot for his death. And, and, and other of his disciples and people were starting to crowd around him. And, and it was at this point that I feel like Jesus said, you know, this is my time. This is the time that I am to go into Jerusalem. We see the, in the book of John that the chief priest Caiaphas had already plotted to kill him. And so there were already plots going on that if you see Jesus, you tell us because we're going to kill him. This is the stage of this story that we see of Jesus riding in on a, on a donkey into Jerusalem. And so I want to talk to you just for the next few minutes from the topic crowns and critics. Crowns and critics. Because you see, there were crowds around Jesus during this moment that wanted to crown him. And in just a few days later, were, were saying crucify him. How many of you know we don't need to be swayed by the crowds? And so we see some, some leadership truths from the life of Jesus that I want to share with you today that I think are going to help you because uh, how many leaders are in the room right now? I just want to talk to my leaders. See, every hand should have been up right there. Do you know that as a child of God, you've been called to be a leader? All leadership is is influence. Did you know you've been called to influence people around you? Is second service here with me today? You've been called to be a leader. And I believe there's three truths that I, as, I'm, as I was meditating on this text this week, I was so excited to share with you because it will help us in how we influence others. And I, I think if we, if we see this modeled in Jesus' life, we should try to do it, amen? So here's, here's, the, first, here's the first leadership truth. Number one was this, he was focused. He was focused. I wanna show you this, it says, in verse 28, and when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. He went on ahead up to Jerusalem. Now, I want you to turn back a few pages in your Bible to Luke chapter 9. And I want to illustrate kind of the timing of all of this happening. See, what I'm about to read to you just happened, you know, just before him coming into Jerusalem. And in Luke chapter 9, in verse number 51, honestly, one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible, just because of the, the reaction of the disciples it says this, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He was focused. He, he, he was laser focused on the mission that God called him to. It says that he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered the village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. So now they're going into Samaria and they're like, hey, we, we need a place to stay. We need, some, we need some sandwiches and some chips and some sweet tea. If you don't mind, please, and a nice warm bed to stay in. I mean, it's the least you could do. I mean, it's Jesus. Well, what happened? 
But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. Remember, plots were already thickening at this point of this man, Jesus. And there was a cost, potentially, if you were to help him. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Now pause. I mean, if I was one of the disciples and this was happening, I would have been mad. I'm like, hold up a minute. We got nowhere to stay. We have to go through this place. The least you could do is give us a place to stay for the night. This is Jesus, he, you know, the Messiah. And I'd go back to Jesus and I would say, I don't know what you want to do about this, but you need to go deal with them because they're not listening to us. Jesus, go handle your business right now. But I couldn't imagine going to Jesus and saying, Jesus, they, they are completely messed up. Here's what we're going to do. Do you want me and John, do you want us to go call fireballs from heaven to consume them? I'm sure Jesus was like, are we in a video game right now? Like, what? And he did not rebuke the people. Oh, we're going to get there. Who did he rebuke? He rebuked his disciples. It says, but he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. He was focused. I want to ask you today, are you focused? And if you are focused, what are you focused on? When I speak of being focused, I speak of discipline. I speak of aim, of commitment, of maturity. You see, it took discipline for Jesus that no matter what was happening around him, he kept his aim on what was in front of him. What are you focused on today, and, and why is this even important? Why would I take this moment to talk to you about focus? Here's why. Lean in just for a second. Because your focus and your aim will determine your destination. Let me say it this way. If you are aiming at nothing, you're going to hit it. If you're aiming at nothing in life, you're probably going to hit it. Here's, here's where most people are. They, they let life circumstances dictate where they're going to go. And so like, well, I lost my job, so I ended up here. And then they said this, I had this difficult thing, and so I ended up here. Then money got tight, so I ended up here. And they're just being tossed around in the wilderness with no aim. But I'm telling you, every time you study men and women in the Bible who did great things, they were laser-focused. What are you aiming at today? Jesus was focused, no doubt. Jesus was focused. Let me say it this way. You are eating the fruits today of yesterday's focus. Are you awake today? You are living in the fruit of yesterday's focus, which means... Tomorrow's harvest depends on today's focus. What have you set your eyes to? What have you set your sights to? Criticizing? Complaining? Complacency? Life? 
life comes and, well, I'm a job and I got family and I'm just kind of floating around with no vision, with no focus to direct your actions. What you focus on will determine your destination. I think you should spend most of your energy on things that will serve where you're going. How much time do you spend on stuff that means absolutely nothing for eternity? Or not even just for eternity, means nothing to help serve the direction you want your life to go. Oh, we can pray big prayers. Oh, Lord, I pray you would bless me and give me that really great job. Are you gonna keep sitting on your butt and watching six hours of Netflix? Or are you gonna refocus a little bit? Are you with me? Jesus, what we see is Jesus was focused. A lot of people just have no focus. They have no focus. They just react to whatever comes their way. And what happens when things go out of focus is the picture gets blurry. Picture gets blurry. Have you ever tried to watch a show or something on TV that was a little blurry? Something on YouTube, it began to blur. See, I know that these, the, all of our camera operators, they, they, they understand uh, what it means to be in focus. My brother, Andrew, who, who uh, does such an amazing job with all of our videos, him and Marissa are very talented. And, 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 and there's one thing I can tell you. See, Friday night, we were filming our Good Friday uh, service. And, and at one point, he said, hey, Stephen, uh, I need you, when you go back up to this spot, I need you to step about a foot behind where you were. Because he was dealing in, in, in focus. Because if it's not focused, things can get blurry. And, and I know this with our camera operators who always make fun of me. I mean, it's like almost every Every week, one of the camera operators will be like, man, you gave me a workout today. <laughs> trying to chase you around. I mean, just trying to, because I just kind of move. This is what I do. You know, you preach to teenagers for eight years. You're going to move around a little bit too. But, but in the morning, they're, they're focusing the cameras in. They're focusing in on the subject so that when people watch it, they can receive what's there and not have this blurred vision. You with me today? So you could have no focus, but what about this? This is, man, I'm gonna talk to somebody just for a minute. There are some of us who you're focused on yesterday's. You're, you're living in yesterday's focus. Let me explain this for a minute. You see, the, 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 what, what you were doing five years ago or four years ago may, may have worked for you, but, but years later, new blessings have come, new opportunities have come, new things have hit your plate, and if you don't refocus, what will happen is life will begin to get chaotic. Let me explain it this way. A couple of years ago, let's just say three years ago, I was just youth pastor with a smaller church, and Maybe I could get away with a five-minute devotional in the morning and, and you know, just, just kind of saying some quick prayers and you know, just kind of show up on Wednesday night, whatever. Maybe I could get away with that. But how many of you know, the more weight and the more blessings and the more things that have hit my plate, I have had to consciously refocus my life. I can't live in yesterday's focus, and yet many of us, that's what we do. And we wonder why we're stressed out and we wonder why things are chaotic because you need to refocus. Maybe you are working a job and you're a parent and, you're a, and, and, and you decide, I'm gonna go back to school and I wanna, I'm gonna go to full-time online school. 
You're telling me that you don't change it? You keep playing four hours of Fortnite at night and, and expect not to have things just kind of rocking you a little bit? How many of you know, when weight, when, when, when things hit your plate, you got to refocus. You might need to cut the Fortnite down to like one hour. Are you with me? We need to, we need to re. Focus, the way I live, this is talking about discipline, this is talking about pursuit. The way I lived 10 years ago will not sustain me today. God is constantly calling me to adjust based on the pressure that I may be carrying or the assignment that I have. Listen, anytime you take on new blessings with old order, it will cause chaos. Anytime you take on new blessings with old order, you will have chaos and stress in your life. Jesus was focused to the point where things could go on around him and, and he wasn't phased because he was lasered. You could knock him this way, but his eyes are still fixed. And so when he started putting his two feet in front of it, he was walking towards his mission. How many of us even know what the mission is for our life or our children or our parents or, or our family or our church? Do you know where you're going? Are you focused in on something? Or I just, well, I'm just kind of letting life determine that for me. You're going to be blurred. You're going to be blurred. I would say almost, almost worse than no focus is wrong focus. Let me talk to you a little bit. Go to, look, look in verse 53. I love this, but it says, but the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? You see, right efforts in wrong places is out of focus. Right efforts in the wrong place will cause your life to be out of focus. And I, and I believe, I believe that, that the disciples in this moment were focused on the people that had rejected them, and they were spending all of their energy dealing with that, neglecting the ultimate mission that they had been assigned. How many of you know this happens to us? Oh, you could be having a great day. And all of a sudden, somebody starts to say something. Somebody starts to chirp in your ear, or something negative happens, and then you spend all of your energy on that. I deal with it, too. I'm going to be honest with you. As somebody who preaches every week, I could preach the best message of my life today. Guess what, I wake up tomorrow? Right? You're gonna expect something next Sunday, aren't you? And so there's times when 10 or 12 people will come up to me and say, oh, great job, pastors, it was so encouraging. And the one moment somebody comes and says, well, you know, that was not your best today. I, I just wasn't feeling it. Like, I just, I just didn't really feel it today. I have totally forgotten about the 12, about the lives that changed, about people giving their life to Jesus. I ain't even focused on that anymore. Why? Because all of a sudden, this thing has gotten me off track, and I'm putting all of my energies on something that will never serve my purpose. I'm wasting energy on things that will not benefit me for where I'm going. Are you hearing me today? We have to understand it. We, refocusing just says, where am I spending most of my energy? 
And, and, and are those things serving my purpose? I see, I talk to people that want to be in ministry and, ah, oh, Stephen, would you mentor me? And I say, absolutely. And one of the first things that I do when someone comes up to me and says, would you mentor me? I, I, I want to be a leader. I say, okay, let's look at your life. And we're not talking about the Bible right now. I want you to walk me through a normal day in your life. Because where you put your time and your energy shows what you really value. And so you could tell me you want to be in ministry, but you spend all of your life playing Fortnite and watching Netflix and being tossed around by everything that comes your way. Well, we got to deal with that first. You with me? You gotta set your, you've gotta, you've gotta focus in and then begin to and begin to align your life with things that will serve your purpose. In Hebrews chapter 12, there's a verse two that says, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. What does that mean? Focusing in on Jesus, who authors and finishes our life. Wrong focus, wrong focus. I love the disciples just spending all of their energy on everybody else. Let me just say it this way. If your time is spent worrying about everyone else's focus, you'll never get to where God wants you to go. I've had to learn this the hard way. If your time, hear me, if your time is spent worrying about everybody else's focus, you're never going to get where God wants you to go. The disciples were like, can you believe this? They have rejected us. They're not giving us a place to stay. And they're spinning their energy and they're mad so much so that they wanted to kill these people. Like really kill them. And Jesus was so focused, he did not even give one thought to those people. I would have thought he would have gone and at least just rebuked them. And first when it said, are you kidding me? You won't even give us a place to stay. Do you know who I am? I created you. <laughs> I'm Jesus. What do you mean we can't stay there? At least give me a sandwich. Something. Give me something to take with me. And, and, and just rebuked him. He did not put one ounce of energy on the critics. He just simply ignored them and turned to his disciples and rebuked them for being out of focus. He rebuked them. He said, why are you worried about them? They have nothing to do with where we're going. He set his face to Jerusalem. What have you set your face to? What have you set your face to? Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. So, so he... Uh, uh, he, he was focused, and here's the second one. He wasn't moved by the crowds. And I love this because we see the crowds in Jerusalem on, on Palm Sunday shouting, Hosanna, as I heard somebody earlier in worship say. Hosanna, praise, blessed be the name, the one who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna. And, and just a few short days later, those same, many, I think, probably some of the, of the same people were then saying, crucify him. And then 50 days after that, we had Pentecost and Peter stands up and preaches. And I think maybe some people who were a part of all three events, same city, this was in Jerusalem, then were shouting, the Bible says they were cut to their heart. Oh, what must we do to be saved? Do you hear the fickleness of the crowd? 
Oh, Hosanna, Hosanna. Oh, this is great. This is gonna really give us a promotion now. Yes, blessed be the Jesus coming in here. This is amazing. Five days later, crucify him. 50 days later, oh my goodness, what must I do to be saved? Aren't you glad Jesus wasn't swayed by the crowds? I think we could learn something from that. Do you know that we typically are swayed by the crowds? And for those of you who, who don't think you are, can I prove to you that you are? How many of you on social media post a selfie, and if it only gets two likes, your world falls apart. How about, come on now, you, you've been posting on the gram, you've been posting on Instagram, and you've been doing the story so that you can build up your following, and, and in the last two months, you've had no new followers. What a failure you must be. This is how we think. And on the flip side, you post something, you post a selfie and it gets 175 likes and 15 comments, you feel pretty special. You're like, I might just do that one again. I might do another selfie from another angle this time. I'm gonna show my good side this time. We are so swayed by the opinions of others, aren't we? Come on, just, just admit it. Just say, yeah, you know, we are. Don't say you're not. You woke up this morning and put your outfit on based on what you think other people are going to think about it. Come on. How many times, this is great, how many times you're, you're walking like by a, by, by, by a shopping center, you're with your friends, and you know how if it's like dark windows, you can see yourself in the reflection? You ever been with those people who try to get like a quick glance? They don't want to like stare at themselves and like, you know, fix themselves up because then you're going to laugh at them. But they just want to do a quick, like if they get, they're waiting for that moment where nobody's looking and they're like, all right, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Oh, I'm good. I was just, just, I'm good, I'm good. Wasn't doing nothing, just stretching, stretching. No, you look at yourself anytime you get the chance because we're worried about what other people think about us. Listen. I'm not trying to bring you down for that because all of us in our flesh have a desire to be liked, don't we? Come on, it's just natural. So this is not meant to be condemning. But, but what I do wanna do is say, what was it that Jesus was able to do to not be moved by the crowds? Because if you live your life for the praise of men, it will crush you and, and you will never reach your calling. I'm gonna prove this to you. Look in John 12. John 12, 42, put it up on the screen for me. It says this, nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. Lean in for a second. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. I've been reading the Gospels a lot lately, and I've been noticing a pattern with Jesus. You see, many people want to live free. Oh, I'll just do whatever I want in, in the name of Jesus and in the name of the Spirit, and I might pray then, or I might pray later, or I might dance. I'm just, I'm just going with the wind of the Spirit. 
interesting because Jesus had a disciplined life. He was focused. He was disciplined. The Bible says that many times early in the morning he would get up and go to a secluded place and there he would pray to his father. You see, how was he able to not be swayed by the crowds and how could we potentially be in process of, of, of becoming less and less swayed by the crowds? I'll tell you how we follow the model of Jesus and we put a focus on spending time in the presence of God. I'm not talking about just on Sunday. I'm talking about getting up or whenever that might be for you and not, I'm not trying to condemn anybody. You gotta hear me, church. It's okay to pray on your way to work. It's okay to pray when people are around and throw up that quick prayer like, Lord, I really need this raise. Lord, have you, I'm in traffic. Oh, Lord, bless them because I'm about to bless them. But hear your pastor today, there should be moments in your day where you get alone with Jesus, where you get alone so that he can speak to who you are, so that you can know who you are. There should be moments when there's not chaos around you that you read this book so that you are not defined by what other people are saying about you or how many likes you have on Instagram or followers you have. Listen, social media following does not equal anointing. Y'all are following some Christians that have a lot of followers but no anointing. Can I say that in church? I want, to, I, I want us just to know. Listen, why? Where? See, just because somebody got a hit on the radio doesn't mean they're anointed and you should start following everything they do and listening to every word they say. We got... See, anointing comes and is birthed, hear this, in the secret place, not in public. And I'm gonna say this, and I don't want you to take this as boasting. My anointing to do what I do does not come from how I act in public. It comes from who I am when no one's watching. My anointing, my confidence in the Lord comes from the secret place. Not from the moments when I'm just praying to get a word for you, but from the moments where I'm just ministering to the Lord. I told our worship team this morning, the Bible calls us to be kings and priests. What does that mean? Kings set dominion and priests actually minister to the heart of God. You should be doing that in your home. Are you letting circumstances and fighting and other things dictate the environment inside your home? You, guys, you are kings and priests for your home. You should be getting up and declaring some things. I don't know about this house. I don't know about this house. But in my house, the presence of the Lord is here. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you come right now and fill every square inch of this place. Lord, I pray for my children right now that they would come to know you. And today they would be full of boldness and full of your spirit. I declare that. You're speaking that into your home as the king of the home. And then you begin to minister to the Lord. And then you begin to say, God, I pray that you would stir a holy devotion in this home to seek your face and not the approval of people. God, give us the grace to, to be laser focused in on the call that you have. I pray over my children and I say, I say, Lord, yes, I want them to be blessed. 
Let me tell you, parents, let me give you some insight to my personal prayer time. Yes, I pray blessing over them. Yes, I pray they would go to college. All that, I mean, yes, but ultimately my prayer is, God, even at an early age, let them know your presence. Let them be so sensitive to your presence and I'm able to see those prayers come to pass down here on the front when my son Caleb is on his knees weeping before God. That didn't come because of what we do in the public. That comes because what we do when no one's watching. Pursuing God for who he, and when we do that, God begins to, God begins to mold us and shape us, and then we're confident in who we are, and we're not so swayed by the chirping of the outside. I am walking through this. The more influence we have, the more criticism comes. The higher the calling, the heavier the weight. Oh, I gotta know who I am. Not because you tell me I did a good job preaching. Because this could go away tomorrow. But who am I before God? Who am I before God? God, I am first your son. I get up in the morning, the first 45 minutes is just, it's just ministering to the, the heart of God. Ministering to the heart of God. God, I, I love you, worship you today. He wasn't moved by the crowds. Here's the third thing. He chooses ordinary to accomplish the extraordinary. Look in verse 30. Go back to chapter 19. I'm going to show you this. Verse 31, it says this. If anyone asks you where or why are you untying Verse 30, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. The Lord has need of what? A white war horse for the big moment? If I'm a disciple, I would have called a timeout. Like, Jesus, this is the moment. Like, we've been building up to this moment. We're coming into Jerusalem. Everybody's going to be there. Everybody's going to be watching us. Everybody's going to be looking like a donkey. That's not very intimidating. It's not very kingly. How about that big, strong horse over there? No, no, no. I want the donkey. And if they ask you about it, just tell them, I have need of it. I was praying this week for you, and I felt like the Lord highlighted this to me for you, for me to tell somebody today, the Lord has need of you. The Lord has need of you. No, 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 not your strengths. Uh Uh-oh. You see, God is looking for the ordinary things. He's looking for the weakness that you have to come in and show his greatness through it. You see, we disqualify ourselves and, and constantly we are, we are building a list of excuses of why we feel like God can never use us. Why we feel like, well, that's for them. 
I deal with anger. I deal with this. I deal with that. I've struggled with this. There's just no way. I'm just happy to be at church. No, 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 no. The Lord has need of you. And I want to ask you a question this morning. I want every single person in this room to just take a moment right now. And I want to ask you this. Are you 100% convinced that God can use you? And you say, yeah, but you know, I don't really like to smile. So like, I'm not gonna ever greet or do anything like that. And, and you know, I don't like to talk a lot. And, and if I'm honest, I don't even like people. So like the evangelism thing's off the table. And you know, I definitely can't sing. So the worship thing is off the table. And I definitely don't like kids. So I'm definitely not serving over there. And you've just disqualified yourself. You just rattled off a list of all of the weaknesses and God is looking at your list. Get your list right now, think of them. Think of your list, come on, everybody. What, okay, well, yeah, 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 there's this, there's that one thing. There's that thing, yeah, back there. Come on, think about it. And then I want you to take your list and then I want you to give it to Jesus. And I want you to watch him smile and say, perfect, I choose you. I choose you. You see, it's the very things that we use to disqualify us that qualify us. Did you catch that? It's your list of excuses why you can't that God looks at and says, oh, I can. I look at Gideon. I'm, I'm thinking of, of, of Gideon who was the, 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 the least in his clan and a part of the worst clan. That's pretty bad right there. Like you're on, the, you're on the worst team, but you're not just on the worst team. You're the worst player on the worst team. And God comes to him while he's beating wheat in a wine press, scared and have, had run for his life. This weak person. And God shows up on the scene and says, I have need of you, Gideon. Oh, mighty man of valor. He's like, oh, no, no, no. You got the wrong guy. You must have been talking about like, Pastor, uh, Pastor Aaron back there, Pastor Moses and, and all of them people, like you, you, you missed it. I, I'm, I'm just weak, I'm, I, I'm hiding right now, like I'm dealing with stuff. Not like, see everybody's got a testimony about it. See, everybody likes to talk about how they used to fail. Oh man, God got me through it, I was so bad and we brag about all the things that we used to do and how God saved us and we act like we're perfect today. I got news for you, all of us are in process. So how, how are you doing today? You know, oh, well, I'm dealing with this and I'm going through this. Great, give it to him because he wants to use it. And what he does is he takes your weaknesses and then he shows himself strong through it. See, you're looking at somebody right now holding a microphone in the, in the lights and you're like, well, that's just what he's gifted and called to do. Great for him. Great for him. But what you don't know is 15 or 16 years ago, I was the rebellious preacher's kid who, was, who, who everybody was ashamed of. That's who I was. And then I give my heart to Jesus and then I, I, I'm, 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 I give up a, a career that I felt like I wanted to do because I felt God called me into the ministry and then I'm like, well, Lord, I don't really have a whole lot to give you because, because I'm, I, I was kind of shy and, and, and hated talking in front of crowds. And, and to add on to that, I hated church because, see, I grew up in the church and I watched my dad go through five church splits. 
I watched how evil religion can be when they sink their teeth into people and spit them out like they're nothing. As soon as they don't get any gain from you, they will spit you out. And my family was spit out five times. And I hated church, hated church people. I've probably shared this before, but in the 11th grade, I remember on the way to church, smoking a joint in my car and, and had the, we call it hot box, had the windows up, hot boxing the car. And I wanted to pull up at the time when I knew there would be the most people there. And I pulled up to church. Everybody's out, God bless you, brother. Oh, how you doing, sister? And there the preacher kid pulls up in a black car with a 15-inch subwoofer basin. Open my door and weed smoke just goes. And the ushers and the deacons and the greeters are all standing out there with their hands on their hip and I'm just staring at them. I wish you would say something to me right now. Seriously, this is how, this is what the hardness that religion did to me. I didn't want anything to do with it. So, you got someone who hated church and who was nervous to speak in a crowd of three. Now a pastor of a church speaking to crowds every Sunday. Come on now, I'm not boasting. I'm just saying that I just gave him my weaknesses. I just gave him what I had and he began to use it to show himself strong. My prayer for you is not that you walk out of here and say, oh, that's Stephen, such a good preacher. No, my prayer is that you walk out of here and say, man, God is so good, I encountered him today. That's what the anointing can do versus the gift. See, the anointing goes out over you and it causes you to focus on God. Gifts go out and cause you to focus on me. You need to know the difference. chooses ordinary to accomplish extraordinary. I want to say it this way. Your weakness, oh, your weakness is a platform for God to show off. Gideon was the weakest in the weakest clan. Mo Moses was the murderer, uh, a stuttering murderer. Esther was an orphan. I mean, think about, think about Moses just for a second, and then we're going to wrap this thing up. Think about Moses. The Trinity, the conference room in heaven, and they're like, hey, we gotta find somebody to lead the people out of Egypt. I mean, it's gonna have to be a bad dude. Like, we need the best of the best. I don't know whose idea it was. I don't know if Holy Spirit kind of piped in and was like, I got an idea. There's a stuttering murderer out in the wilderness. And then I don't know if the father and the son were like, that's perfect. It's exactly what we want. In our weakness, he is strong. In our weakness, he shows himself to be strong. What has been your excuse? What has been your excuse? I'm, I'm, listen, I want to tell you today, you need to focus. You need to, you need to refocus your life right now. You need to know what you're aiming at. If you aim at nothing, you're going to hit it. And 10 years from now, you're still going to be struggling. You're still going to be irritated. You're still going to be dealing with the same stuff. Why? Because you're just wandering around, out of focus, blurry, blurry. 
You need to refocus your life, and then you need to be spending time in the presence of Jesus so that the crowds don't sway you and define you. And then you need to resolve and know that you know that you know that God wants to use you even in your weakness. That addiction that you're coming through will be the testimony that breaks chains off of people's life. That anger problem that you're working through will be a testimony to somebody else who thought they would never be free from it. And chains begin to fall. God begins to strengthen you in your weakness and show off. And he gets all the glory. Father, I thank you today for every person in this room. I thank you for who you are. Thank you that you never lost focus. I thank you you were never swayed by the crowd, and I thank you that you used the weak. I thank you that you just chose an old donkey. Thank you that you chose a stuttering murderer. I thank you that you chose Gideon to defeat the army because that tells me that you can use me, a rebellious preacher's kid, who was addicted to drugs, running as fast as I could from the church. I thank you for never giving up on me. I thank you that there's always the second chance for, for us and knowing that you never give up on us. You never stop. You leave the 99 for the one. I pray you speak to every heart here. And Lord, I just pray that if there would be one in the room that does not know you personally. I'm not talking about you went to church when you were four. Your grandma drug you to church when you were 14. I'm talking about you have made a decision to give your life to Jesus. You, you do not leave this room without knowing that you are a child of the living God. With heads bowed, eyes closed, if you would be honest with me and say, you know what, I'm ready to make that decision. I feel the tug on my heart. Jesus is knocking on the door. I'm ready to make a decision. I want you to wave at me. Just wave at me right now. Anybody at all in this place? Say, I'm ready to make a decision for Jesus. Well, I want to pray for you. Maybe you're watching and maybe you're in your car. I don't know. You just never know. We're going to pray with you. I believe God's knocking on your heart. And you know what? We've been getting cards. People are sending in and saying, you know, I didn't raise my hand, but I gave my life to Jesus almost every week. So this is what I want to do. I want to pray. I want you to repeat after me. And you need to know that it's simple faith in Jesus and what he did for you that saves you. Say with me. Say, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross and were raised on the third day. And today, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. Fill me with your spirit. I give you my life in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Would you stand with me?